It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Rivals. People competing with another for the same objective or superiority in the same field of activity. Fantastic rivalry. It was intense. A lot of passion showed in it. I think the game that both teams look forward to every season. There's no walks of life where people go to work with two ambulances behind them. We know how dangerous it is. Both chasing the same goals and dreams. I remember feeling really sorry for him. I knew I was going to beat him. I think there was needle between the teams, but just through wanting to beat each other so badly. You know, there was a mutual respect. Each fighting against the other. I thought, wow, that looks like a broken man. I thought, wow, is it really that serious? when you're suffering and someone's better than you on the day and you're doing everything you possibly can to hold on to, to them and not let that gap get any bigger than a metre and you're praying for the end to come or you're praying for the next corner so you can rest a little bit. They're the hardest days. In this series, we bring together famous sporting rivals to hear a shared story from both sides. The triumph, the tragedies, the victories, the near misses, the laughter and the sorrow. This is reunited on TalkSport. Tony McCoy, better known as AP, and Richard Johnson battled against each other for the best part of two decades. AP would take the jockey's title a record 20 times, with Johnson runner-up on 16 occasions. But the statistics only tell half the story. Over nearly 20 years, they pushed each other to the limit of sporting endurance, suffered horrendous career-threatening injuries, and both claimed big race winners over the other. Yet throughout it all, they remained friends. Both jockeys were children of the 1970s, but born into very different environments. Johnson was raised in a family of Herefordshire farmers who also dabbled in racing. All through my childhood I rode ponies and graduated up to horses. Everything I can remember is riding ponies on the farm. From as, as, as young as I can remember, I was sat on a pony. Born in County Antrim in Northern Ireland, A.P. McCoy's family had no obvious connection to either farming or racing. But the young A.P. would get an early opportunity to experience the joys of horse riding. My mum, God rest her, had a, a picture of me and a horse when I was two. My dad was a, a joiner, a carpenter. We had a little bit of land at home. Now, he'd never ridden horse in his life, and my mum had never had anything to do with horses. But we had a little bit of land at home, and he decided that when he was young that he was going to get a horse. For whatever reason, I don't know, I've asked him numerous times, and he said he didn't know. 
but it happened to be a thoroughbred and I've got four sisters and one brother and I'm the only one that there's a picture of on a horse when I was young. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a believer in fate, but that was the first time that I ever sat on a horse. Horses were always around. Both my grandfathers had point of pointers and, you know, all horses around. And then my, my father rode as an amateur in point of points and, you know, a little bit under rules. And then you know, my mum trained only on a small level, but uh, sort of their family horses. And, and so there was always horses around. And then again, I was always keen on the ponies. My brother has never sat on a horse. He had no interest. He was much more happy with the tractor. So it probably worked quite well, really. Probably had my first pony when I was about six or seven. And then, you know, it kind of took off from there, really. You know, got into, you know, wanting to do a little bit of, obviously, pony riding and then a little bit of show jumping. But my dad was friendly with a, a man who trained a few racehorses in the north of Ireland called Billy Rock, who bought one of the horses that my dad had bred. And I remember going down to watch the racehorses exercise when I was about 10 or 11 was lucky enough to sit up on a racehorse and sort of trot it around an indoor barn, you know. And from that day on, all I wanted to be was a jockey. I started off doing sort of gymkhana and on my ponies, and, and, and again, that was all about a race, really, whether it was picking up cups and putting them at the end of a pole or just going from one end to the other as quick as possible. So I think that was that fitted me quite well. And, um, yeah, we, I've still got, well, my mum's probably still got uh, my old rosettes and stuff at home. And then, you know, as, as I got older, we graduated to doing a bit more meaningful stuff on ponies. But again, it, it was all about winning. I couldn't see the point in taking part, which I know I've got to be careful now if I say that to my children. Some people tell me off, but, uh, you know, I think it, you've got to be competitive. I was that keen from about the age of 14. I can remember getting a, a bike, this really good racing bike, because it was it was about 14 miles to get to Billy Rocks, and my dad was working, and my mum had obviously six kids, and we actually had a shop and a post office at home, so she wasn't able to drive me in the mornings. The only way I could get there was to cycle. So I, I cycled 14 miles in the mornings and 14 miles back in the afternoon for the best part of two years, any days I had off school. And when I was 15, I had I was in my last year of secondary school and I think from about the middle of September, I decided that, you know what, I'm, I'm not really intelligent enough to be wasting my time at school any longer. I thought I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a jockey and I ended up cycling there pretty much every day until I, until I left home, you know. And then as you got older, all I wanted to do was go as quick as possible, really. I wasn't very good at the, the slower things to do with ponies. So, um, yeah, and I thought then, obviously, started to know a bit about racing. Obviously, parents always followed racing. I used to see the racing post or the sporting life on the kitchen table every day. And I thought, oh, you can actually do this for a, a living. So um, I thought that was like the best option and much better than farming. At a young age, both Richard Johnson and A.P. McCoy left home to chase their dreams of being jockeys. Johnson got a job with national hunt trainer David the Duke Nicholson, while A.P. joined up with trainer Jim Bolger, not as a jockey over jumps, but on the flat. It wasn't, a, definitely wasn't an overnight success. Like Richard, from the age of 16, 17, was, was really successful. I spent four and a half years serving my apprenticeship as a flat jockey, actually, um, with Jim Bulger, who was a who was and has been a very very successful racehorse trainer, but Jim was a very strict man, very strict on discipline, very meticulous in everything he did. But if you'd any ambition to learn, then you couldn't but not learn working for Jim Bulger. Now I didn't think that in the four and a half years that I was there because I thought for all the world that I couldn't understand why you know why I wasn't doing as well as I'd hoped I was going to do. But it was a very good grounding. I'd never really been away from home properly but couldn't wait to go and, and ride the horses and I'd have been I think three times by the time I she went there to work full-time I'd been three times for a week at a time I think I was lucky to go to the right place 
you know, that, that's a, a big help at any career. In the early part of their careers, it was Johnson who made the more promising start, while AP would suffer the first of many broken bones. My first riding horse race was at the Phoenix Park in 1990. I was six stone four in colours, um, which is pretty much about half the weight I am now. And uh, I, I rode my first winner in, uh, in March 1992. So it was two years before I rode my first winner. In the middle of that, I actually broke my leg quite badly, which was a little bit of a setback. But what it did was when I broke my leg, I for some reason I, I started to grow and I was off for four months. I had a compound fracture of my tib and fib. After I came back after that injury, I was I was a little bit heavier and kind of knew then that if I was going, you know, that I was going to have to be more so a, a jump jockey, which meant I could be a little bit heavier than I was a flat jockey. So, you know, I would say my, my the, the plan changed a little bit after that. You know, the Duke was hugely important because again that first season he looked after me and 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 um, and then just gradually, well, I say gradually, obviously considering you know how old I was, it, it happened quite quickly over the next sort of you know eighteen months, but. You know, he, he definitely put faith in me. And again, I think when, when a, a trainer like that puts faith in you and gives you rides, that's when the outside world starts to really acknowledge you. With no future as a flat jockey due to his growing frame, AP McCoy set his sights on becoming a national hunt jockey, something that surprised his then employer, trainer Jim Bolger. But when I told him that I was going to leave and that I wanted to go to England, that I wanted to be a jump jockey, you know, his exact words are, I, I can remember you screaming like a baby at the bottom of my gallop when you broke your leg. You're not tough enough to be a jump jockey. You know, so it was another one of those things that, well, we'll see about that, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll prove you wrong. But I went to England pretty much on a whim. You know, I, a few people trying to get me different jobs. Um, Norman Williamson was a very successful jockey riding for Kim Bailey at the time. and I kind of thought that I was going to, get a job with Kim Bailey as kind of Norman Williamson's understudy. But the closer it got to the time, someone else got the job. So I was, after telling Jim I was leaving and I had no job, and, and luckily I was at Wexford Races one day and Eddie Harty, who was a very successful jockey, he won the Grand National on Highland Wedding for Toby Balding. Eddie Harty came into the, the weigh room at Wexford one day and he said, Toby Balding's outside. He said he'd like to meet you. Toby was a very respected man in horse racing and... When Toby offered me the, the job to come and work for him, then I, I, I jumped at the chance I was there probably two weeks later. But success came quickly to the young Ulsterman. In his first season in England, he won the Conditional Jockeys Championship and began to start making headlines. I remember um, at the yard, we'd have a, there's like a breakfast room, there'd be plenty of papers in there, and you, you started to hear people saying, oh, there's this young lad riding winners for Toby Bolding, and slowly, you, yeah, you'd hear AP's name. I remember right at the end of the season, it used to finish at Stratford at the end of end of May, and I remember, yeah, sat a long way down in the in the corner and seeing AP, and that's probably one of the first days I sort of saw him and met him, and yeah, obviously from then he was sort of a bit of a phenomenon, really. He, you know, never stopped riding winners, and then from that day onwards, I sort of chased him in in vain most of the time. Was I surprised? Um... I think this is going to sound terrible, but I, I, and I would never have said it when I was still riding, but I actually genuinely always had the belief that I could do it. You know, now I must be pretty thick because it, you know, I spent over four and a half years in gyms and wasn't very successful. And I think most people would have thought, you know what, this is maybe not for me. Maybe I should choose a different career and, and go down a different path or go back home to the north. But, you know, I actually genuinely had the belief that it, that it would come. I, I found myself getting goals and getting greedy and you know, wanting more all the time in a very, very short space of time. In the 1995-96 season, 
AP claimed his first National Hunt Jockeys Championship with 175 winners. The following year, he was champion once again, but Richard Johnson put down a marker for the future. When I was 19, I rode 100 winners and I was think, third or fourth in the jockey's title, which for me to ride 100 winners was massive. You know, it was still obviously a long way off being champion jockey. And then, you know, it was quite obvious that both of us were very keen on riding as many winners as possible. I'm sure the press probably did start to talk about it. As their careers collided, the Fleet Street scribblers would indeed have plenty to write about over nearly two decades of racing rivalry. Both were driven by an insatiable appetite to win, but also the knowledge that their next ride could be their last. There's no walks of life where people go to work with two ambulances behind them. We both saw colleagues being fatally injured and, and suffer horrific life-changing injuries, so we know how dangerous it is. I can have five falls next week and literally jump straight back up and then you can have one fall and it looks like an easy fall and you land awkwardly and then, yeah, unfortunately, you can break something or just the how you land. And I think it is. I, I think they, they reckon it's roughly one in 20 rides, one in 15 to 20 rides, you, you're going to fall. So, you know, roughly I have a 1,000 rides a year that's roughly 50 falls a year. So it's a case of you, you, you hope that you'll bounce, <laughs> bounce the right way rather than the wrong way. You know, I think in life and in sport and maybe in business or whatever it is, I think you need someone who challenges you and someone who drives you. And I, I got to the point after three or four years thinking, do you know what, if I beat Richard Johnson, I'll beat everyone else. So you become, I wouldn't say as engrossed in him as you do yourself, but you you, you start, you know, after you've looked up what you're riding or what you're where you're going, or you start thinking, what's he riding today, you know? So, and that is that is the way I thought. That was my mindset pretty much for, for, for the next... 18, 19 years. That thrill you get when you win, whether it's a, a big race on a Saturday or a small race on a Monday, it, that adrenaline rush or that thrill or that buzz you get from riding a winner is, you know, that, that's all I think about really on a daily basis. But before we reunite these true racing greats, how would they describe each other? I think the biggest thing about AP is he loves to make people think he's grumpy and doesn't eat. And that's a little rubbish. And obviously, we all had bad days, but I'm sure I'm sure sometimes he, he, he enjoyed the fact that people thought he was a bit grumpy. And um, again, he ate a lot of chocolate. The tightest man in racing. <laughs> oh, I'm only joking, Dickie. Coming up on Reunited on Talk Sport. 2006, I, I brought my right wrist off horse called Sport and Limerick. I remember as soon as I bought my wrist, I thought, oh my God, that is... I didn't want to look. But then I was thinking, oh, he can't really win a Gold Cup, can he? And then, obviously, yeah, three months later, I'm sat in, sat in the corner at Cheltenham watching him win the Gold Cup, which is pretty hard to deal with. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in 3 years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. AP McCoy won 20 consecutive National Hunt Jockey Championships. With Johnson second on 16 occasions, did Richard ever lose the belief he'd beat AP? I started off every season, obviously I did very badly over 20 years, but I started off every season wanting to be champion. And um, that, that was always my main aim. You'd never give up hope of it happening it's just obviously yeah we, we we didn't manage it but again you know there was different times through different seasons that you know you felt that you were getting a bit closer or having a good run that was always the main aim start of every season what were you doing the other four years by the way <laughs> oh, I gave up the others <laughs> the other four years that he wasn't second that's all, yeah. that's to be fair he did break his leg twice in two of those twice of them yeah but it, it, it was yeah. one of those things you, he definitely didn't feel sorry for me I know that no <laughs> I definitely didn't feel sorry for him, no. I can assure you. I, I, as I said to you, when he broke his leg, I felt sorry for him for about an hour or two whenever I was worried that he was all right, you know, you think, hope he's all right. But then once you know that he's just broken his leg, I thought we'll have a bit of peace for for, for a few months, nothing else. But I never actually thought about that, what he did for the other four, the four times that he wasn't second. What was he doing? Just, very, have, just having a bit of fun, really. Just, just very, give very disappointing. <laughs> very disappointed in him that he actually let two, four people finish ahead of him. However, that happened. Who were they? David Bridgewater or Timmy Murphy? Yeah, Timmy. Jamie Osborne. Yeah, they had Osborne the first year, I think, yeah. First, first couple of years, I was just like third and fourth, I think. Yeah, behind you and Jason McGuire. That's it. God. That's it. See, it see, 20 years, too many bangs on the head. Memory's not what it should be. But over two decades, was there ever a year when Johnson thought he'd overcome his long-term rival? I think the second time I broke my leg, that was when not, obviously, AP a- 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 had it. A great start as well, but I, I that year I think we we both ridden about eighty winners by the middle of August. It was all going really well, and then obviously I broke my leg. At the time, it was all still all to play for, as it were. It's it's weird, like I say, I, obviously I got injured then, but I found it every time he got injured, I couldn't ride a winner. But like it's, it's weird, you you sort of think I'd probably can you think yourself right? I got time now. I got he can sit up at home and rest up, and I, I can ride loads of winners. And it, it felt to me harder to ride winners when when he wasn't there. He obviously missed me when I wasn't right. Yeah. He's obviously much more on the ball whenever I was there. Much easier to beat him when he's on the race course. 2006, I, I brought my right wrist off horse called Sport and Limerick. I remember as soon as I put my wrist on, I thought, oh my God, that is, that I, I didn't even want to look. And the doctor, Adrian McGoldrick, who was the senior medical officer in Ireland at the time. I, I, I remember I had gloves on and I had, you always have like elastic bands around your wrists and that to keep the colours in tight. And I can remember asking Adrian, you know, I was kind of what I said, hey, do you think is it bad? And he said to me, he said, look, if I get a pair of scissors, he said, I can basically cut a few ligaments and I'll bring your hand to the hospital for you if you want. <laughs> I said, all right, it's pretty bad then. He goes, yeah, it's pretty bad. 
and it was like kind of like it was kind of bent. It was out. You could see basically the skin. It was out through the skin. It was just. It wasn't. It wasn't very good. And I remember thinking that that I'm going to be off a while with this. You know, because the first and the worst thing about when you break your arm and your wrist, when you fall again, it's normally automatically the first thing you put out in the ground to save you. And that's the reason why I broke it. Because and thankfully, since that day, I never broke it again. I obviously stopped putting my hands out in front of me. It took me. Well, I broke my arm in 2003, pretty much the same reason because I put it out. Took my hands out in front of me and fast ground it broke. But when I did it in Galway, I, I don't think I ever put my wrist out. I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever put my hands out when I was falling again. And especially at that stage of the season, you know, you know, the, stage, the season only started a couple of months, like, and even though I had a good start, but then you're going to be off a couple of months. And it's, so I was on the back foot pretty much from then. As much as I wanted to ride more when it's in the championship and, and, and beat him to, to win a championship, like, you, you don't want to see someone get injured. It's, it's not something you ever want to see anyone get a, a nasty fall or injured or you know anything else it's just not like no. you, you you yeah you want to beat everybody but like yeah in, in a weird way I probably dreamt that he's going to get to Christmas and give up so I, so I technically I could have beat him in his championship but you, you never want to win a championship I don't think you know that that was never and something you, you there are there are days that you stick in your head when you know that lads look we've both seen lads being fatally injured and suffer horrific injuries there's days that stick in your head that you just don't forget because of it so it does help bring a lot of normality to you you know what I mean you know, there's certain days that I remember when lads, you know, when God rest them, the likes of Richard Davis got killed. You can remember it like yesterday. You know, I remember just not that long ago, John Thomas and Mike getting a fall in, in Cheltenham and the doctor telling me that he that it isn't good and looking over at his suit hanging up on his peg thinking, he ain't ever going to wear that again. You know, so it, it, no matter how much you want to win, you realise the dangers of this job. It ain't, there isn't any room for for chippiness or bitterness. You know, it's a, it's a job that you have a lot of respect for the people you're competing against. I was in Huntington two days ago and a lad had a nasty fall but knocked out badly and, and I think for, for half an hour racing was halted and, and doctors were very worried. They sent for the air ambulance and there was, you have that period of time when it's a very sombre way and everyone is very, very concerned and then when we got the news that he, you know, he was talking, he could move everything, it's almost a sense of relief and, and joy, Jimmy, because you just... You just Nobody wants to see anybody get hurt, and, and it, it is a bit of a reminder that anything's around the corner. But um, every, even though we, we want to beat everybody every day of the week, there, yeah, there's also a, a massive sense of looking after each other as well. Yeah, that's the one thing about the wearer, is that you, you definitely, you know, no matter how much you're competing against someone or you want to beat them, genuinely, you actually want to make sure they're all right. And look, it's in your instinct to to make sure your your friends and colleagues are right. You know, I think that that's the one thing you find is that you 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 will end up going to a hospital to bring a lad's car, you know, bring their clothes there, bring a lad's car home, do whatever, you know. You know, there's a sense of normality as well. Aside from injuries, another glimmer of opportunity arose for Johnson in 2004 when AP decided to leave Martin Pipe, the multiple champion trainer who was instrumental in McCoy's success. Martin Pike was a machine, whether it was from me growing up sort of with Peter Scudamore, watching him become champion, and obviously then then Woody moved there to, to be champion. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously for AP for eight, nine, ten years, you know, it was it was it was like if you, if you ride for Martin Pipe, you'll be champion jockey. And so, yeah, it was, you know, when, he, when I heard he was going to leave, it was definitely, you thought, well, that, that, that changed the goalpost slightly. Not that I ever thought it was going to be like, yeah, he's going to just ride 100 winners now and 
concentrate on good ones. But you know, I, I knew I knew his his attitude and his stubbornness, so it's all right. But yeah, there there was that that thought that actually it's going to give me that that slightly well more of a chance anyway. And I was quite lucky, even though I'd left Martin Pipes, he, I still rode quite a lot from Perth. <laughs> so I kind of had the best of both worlds. But that, and that was for the first, maybe for the first couple of years. I, I still, actually, but then Timmy Murphy became the owner, David Johnson's jockey, and he obviously rode all of those horses. But when I got the opportunity, I, I, I left on pretty good terms with Martin Pipes. So I had, I wouldn't say I had the best of both worlds, but... You know, my worry was that, you know, if, if he had have employed someone like Richard, you know, that I, I wouldn't have got that support. While Richard Johnson would never catch AP in the Jockeys' Championship, they both claimed big race winners throughout their careers. AP's first Cheltenham Gold Cup win was on board Mr Mulligan, but it could have worked out so differently. I rode for, well, now my father-in-law, but no, no chance. I rode for him quite a lot when I was 18, 19, and... I was quite young at the time, but as it worked, I suppose, as, as fate sort of falls. But Mr. Mulligan, I was supposed to ride him the King George. David Nicholson, who was my employer at the time, said I had to go to Weatherby. Went to Weatherby, got, I think, to nearly Doncaster. Weatherby was called off. I was in the car with Alan King, who was assistant trainer at the time. He said, oh, we'll go to Kempton for a day out, which I thought was obviously marvellous. So we went to <laughs> went to Kempton, and I sat in the waiting room watching Mr. Mulligan running the, in the King George. Not that I wanted him to fall, but he... Got he beat, fell, yeah. he, but he actually fell at the second last with AP yeah. on. Um, but I was told before the King George, if if you don't ride him in the King George, you won't ride him in the Gold Cup, which I can, you know, is, is perfectly sort of understandable, but gutting for me. But then I was thinking, oh, he can't really win a Gold Cup, can he? And then obviously, yeah, three months later, I'm sat in, sat in the corner at Cheltenham watching him win the Gold Cup, which is, is a, I think I'd have only been 19 then. That was pretty hard to deal with. Champion jockey Tony McCoy drives Mr. Mulligan out for Earl Charles. He's going to take the big race at the line. Mr. Mulligan bearing away but wins. Mr. Mulligan wins it. Martin Bank is second. Doran's pride is third. And from the back, the go ballistic runs his best race. I remember that funny if I remember David Bridgewater coming up to me and saying, Don't worry. Again, in, in the way, and you, you can see some lads when they're not in a great place. And that's, you know, at the time, Dave Bridgewater was an older older jockey and he, he came up to me and said, so, you know, don't worry, it'll it'll change. I didn't believe him at the time, but I, w- I definitely wouldn't have been very nice to be around for the next few I, hours. I rode him in the King George and I and he fell. And I I don't know why I thought, but I actually thought he could win the Gold Cup. Now, I'd never ridden, I rode the Gold Cup the year before on Beach Road, which was 100 to 1. I didn't know what like, I didn't know what it was like to, what a Gold Cup horse felt like, but I actually thought he could win the Gold Cup. And then I rode him in exercise at Newbury about two or three weeks before the Gold Cup and he, he worked terrible. And I was riding for Martin Pipe at the time who had like three runners in the Gold Cup. And I remember telling Martin Pipe at Camden at Christmas, look, I want to ride this horse. In the, or I just start riding for him out. I said, I want to ride this horse in the Gold Cup. And I've told him I'm going to ride him in the Gold Cup just so you know. But he had a few horses in the Gold Cup and I, I genuinely thought, you know what, I, I want to ride one of Martin Pipe's. And, and for some bizarre reason, I thought, you know what, I said, I can't. I, I told him I was going to ride Mr. Mulligan, I'm going to ride him, and that's it. And luckily he won. A few years later, when it looks like trouble, was running in the Gold Cup, Norm Williams had, had, had ridden him in the early part of the season. About three weeks before the Gold Cup, I was asked to ride him. And I said I would, and same thing happened again. I rode him work in Newbury, and he worked quite well. But then Martin Pipe had decided to run a horse called Gloria Victus in the Gold Cup, which, to be fair, was a very, very, very good horse. He got injured in the Gold Cup, sadly. And then Richard managed to get on Looks Like Trouble. So, so it's funny how it, it swings around, you know. But Looks Like Trouble and Richard Johnson driven out in front. Five lengths, six lengths clear of Florida Pearl. And Looks Like Trouble wins the Gold Cup. 
I think we, yeah, we felt we, won, we got one all. There was a, a slightly funny story afterwards. A few years later, I started uh, going out with Fiona. I was just going to say, the no. trainer thought it was a great idea at yeah. the time, but I bet you didn't think he was going running <laughs> off with his daughter not long afterwards. I bet you wouldn't have let him ride him. I bet you wouldn't let him ride if he knew what he knew, knows now what he knew then. He yeah, got yeah. someone else. But um, yeah, we went out for dinner a few years later and um, and no chance said to me, he said, oh, did the owner ever, ever look after you for, for riding Mr Mulligan? And I went, I didn't ride Mr Mulligan. So it was an awkward silence for the first, as, as we were starting to have dinner. <laughs> you didn't ride, Mr. Well, it's all right. You didn't miss much. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, true. But I, um, I got a picture. Um, so, yeah, so he, he, yeah, he did give me one, one Gold Cup winner, but... Uh, and a daughter. Could have been two. Ah, so there you go. Poor fella. So, uh, yeah, imagine be. inheriting Richard Johnson as your son-in-law. God, your worst what, nightmare. Where, what would what he do? Away from the Cheltenham Festival... There was always one race both wanted to win, the Grand National. At the 15th attempt, McCoy would win on Don't Push It. But for Johnson, the wait continues. It's Don't Push It for Tony McCoy. Black Avalanche fighting back grimly on the inside. Don't Push It in front, ears pricked idling. Black Avalanche trying to preserve the run up the inside. But Tony McCoy, the winning most national hunt rider of all time, has waited a long time to land his first John Smith's Grand National. First all round, Tony McCoy, JP McManus, John Joe O'Neill. Don't Push It won the national. Black Avalanche second, state of play. I think the, the most frustrating thing is I've got so close twice. The one time on Bottles Are King a few years ago, I definitely thought I was going to win the national. I jumped the last in second. The horse in front of me, I could guarantee, wasn't going to keep going. And I couldn't believe it kept going with Leighton Aspel. I'd ridden him before, and he's definitely a horse that doesn't do an awful lot and uh, usually stops. And I thought I'd definitely win. That was the day that... I was absolutely, <laughs> absolutely mortified. But look, if I if I retire and I haven't won it, it's, it's, I'm not. I'll, I'll still be able to sleep at night. But the trouble is, it's once a year. You're quite limited to your, your opportunities. But I've st- I've still got a couple of more chances. <laughs> I, I was working on the TV <laughs> and uh, saw one of the lads got injured earlier in the day. It was Paddy Brenner or someone, and they were riding Saint Dar and said, oh, the owner's open for Richard Johnson. And I noticed back Saint Dar had been placed in the Grand National. He was second in it once, and he was third in it. But he's 12 or 13 years old. And I said, oh, they're looking for Richard Johnson. I said, they'd want to look fair quick. I said, because there's a very good chance he'll be, he'll be gone out of entry before the Grand National starts. I didn't mean this in a disrespectful way. But there, there's certain horses that you want to ride in the Grand National. And St. R would have been a good ride in the Grand National. He actually, as it happened, he actually fell. But, but you want to ride someone that's got a chance of winning. And would I, if someone had asked me to ride St. R in the Grand National, even if I, though I didn't have a ride, would I have ridden it? If he'd asked me when I was... 23 would have ridden St. Ireland Grand National yeah definitely but to ride a horse in Grand National to make up the numbers couldn't think of anything worse and and I said to the dads in the room I said Richard Johnson there's not a hope in hell of Richard Johnson riding St. Ireland Grand National and no 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 Richard Johnson definitely riding with thought, God I'm shocked and then about ten, five minutes later he came out actually no such and such a young I can't remember who rode him in the end but Richard Johnson not riding him anyway I said I told you that and he'd actually gone home <laughs> I, I, was, I was already on the motorway on the way back but and I, and I never actually got to ask, to ask to ride the horse anyway but I I know the horse well because I'd ridden him before and he loves fast ground and he'd have had well he had no chance on soft ground in my opinion and so basically he was beating the traffic so they, they, I think uh, on the TV as they were saying that I was going to ride the horse it showed me getting changed in, into my normal clothes 
because I was finished. And uh, when I, I got on the motorway, about 20 minutes later, I rang, rang my wife, Fiona, and I said, I said, oh, we're on the way. She said, what, you've left? I went, yep. She went, you're riding the National. I went, I'm not. <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah, it was a bit of miscommunication. Still to come on Reunited on Talk Sport. Imagine me beating someone for 16-odd years that wasn't really any good. <laughs> I mean, what sort of, that just puts, the sort of selfish element was coming at me again. I was thinking, worrying about myself. Imagine if I beat a lad that couldn't actually win the Junkers Championship whenever I retired. It was his day, but it's quite ironic, I think, really, after 20 years, I managed to actually beat him on the last race he ever had. In 2015 came a shock announcement. And the only one that knew that I was retiring at the beginning of that season was J.P. McManus. I hadn't told any of them really that I was retiring because I, you know, because I didn't want to. But I knew at the beginning of that season, I knew that if I was lucky enough to win the Jockeys' Championship, it was going to be my 20th year and I was nearly 41. And it just, it was the right time, you know. So my mum and my dad and everyone found out on television that I was retiring. So I remember Ruby Walsh saying to me afterwards, what are you going to do? And three years later, I'm still trying to answer, what am I going to do? Still playing a lot of golf. So, <laughs> you know. Obviously, we were all watched the race and thought it finished, and then we all sort of dashed off to probably get way out for the next race or whatever else. Then, then yeah, then suddenly there was like, you know, someone said, oh, he's just, actually, he's going to retire at the end of the year. So it was, it was shock, really. But again, I think it was, it, you know, it sort of, obviously, it was his 200th win of that, that season. It was a big race on a Saturday. It, as always, it, it was his perfect way of doing everything, which is very annoying because it, it, always, it always seems to work really well. I basically said to him, come back in and said, you'll be some embarrassment now if you don't win the Jockey Championship next year. I said, you'll be a letdown to me and everyone else. Imagine me beating someone for 16 odd years that wasn't really any good. I mean, what sort of, that just puts, the sort of selfish element was coming at me again. I was thinking, worrying about myself. Imagine if I beat a lad that couldn't actually win the Jockey Championship whenever I retired. I mean, yeah, how disappointed would that be? I'd have retire the following year if I couldn't, if I don't think I... If, I would have made you retire. <laughs> I'll probably, I'll probably announce my retirement at Ludlow on a crappy Tuesday. So. I'll, make, I'll make sure I'll come and give you a clap. Okay, cheers. 52-year-old Richard yeah. Johnson's been helped off with a winch. Such and such as horse on Tuesday in the wet, cold. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, 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 I think, look, it was a sort of a different way of doing it, but obviously it was fantastic. The way the, the, the public sort of over the next, well, sort of two months, you know, it, it, was, quite, it was quite... Astonishing to see, yeah, you go to Catrick on a, yeah, on a Tuesday or a, and there'd be lots of people, and, and there was like loads of people there. I'm like, what are you all doing here? But obviously they came to see him. I thought they came to see me, but um, they came to they came to say how happy they were yeah. about me retiring. That's so I used to think, God, people must be really pleased that I'm riding. I should come want to come watch. So, um, but I think it was it, it was a it, 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 it was a. Don't worry, Richard. I'll make sure they morning. all come whenever you're there. Yeah, I'll, I'll make I'm sure. sure I'm I'll make sure we get a good crowd. There we three people at Harry Philip. Be fine. On the 25th of April 2015, AP McCoy rode in his final race at Sundown, which was won, of course, by Richard Johnson. And AP McCoy is in the drive position for the final time, but he's going to have to sprout wings here on box office as brother Ted and Grand Maestro fight it out over as they come to the final flight. Box office is in third. Needs something dramatic to happen here. It's not appeared to happen. It looks as if for the second time today he's going to be third. It's going to be no fairy tale ending for box office, and it's brother Ted and Richard Johnson. And then in third spot is AP McCoy on box office. That's it. Memories now, we have a plenty of AP McCoy, but not a winning one on this final day, as Brother Ted is our winner. That was quite sweet. 
looking back on it, I, I was it was it was his day, but it's quite ironic, I think, really, after twenty years I managed to actually beat him on the last race he ever had. Terrible, isn't it? I mean the script didn't go quite go to plan that day. No. <laughs> the horse I rode was very well named box office. But three years later he still hasn't won a race, so Yeah. So the the only good thing about him was his name. <laughs> and how much of a disappointment he was. But anyway. You know, I, I I didn't bother me that much. It, you know, I I had accepted the fact that I was, you know, that it was over. Like so, it was. It would have been nice to finish my last day riding a winner, but it was over. You know, so I was well used to. It. I generally thought it was almost, yeah, the way it was meant to be. I, I, ironic that, that that yeah, like it was a sixteen runner handicap or something. So so that it was. It wasn't just like a four runner race where there was only a few of us. It was big, big handicap at the end of end end of the season, and and yeah, it was just almost weird how it. Oh, yeah, slightly ironic way to win his, his last race, and um, but again, I, I, the whole day for, for me it, it was it was a very fitting day, and actually it went again. Obviously, it would have been perfect for him to, in his eyes, to win the last race. But um, yeah, I think it, it it went very well. Look at him grimacing. <laughs> I, I'm actually starting to think that actually, you know what? That's actually the best horse, race that horse ever ran. So I actually got drawn better than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, he's still struggling for sorry. Yeah. There has been a lot of emotional parts of it. There was, there was, there was tears coming back on box office. I was trying to hide it. There was actually nearly tears going out in box office, but I, I, I pulled my goggles down so no one would notice. But um, it was a very emotional day, and it's something that I'll never forget. I never ever expected it to that. You know, the people that have come out and and um, and supported me, and um, you know, I said I feel very. I feel very honoured, very privileged. I said this earlier on today, like any sports person should. You know, you, we have a very lucky and privileged way of life. And as I said to the lads in the way room, that you enjoy every moment of it because the end doesn't have come round very quick. During their careers, much has changed in racing. Jockeys, horses, and trainers have retired, and new blood has come into the sport. Yet the inner sanctum of racing, the weighing room, remained a unique sporting environment hidden from the public's gaze. The weigh room is a pretty close place, you know, and, and you notice how lads change after a period of time. You will always get the old young lad who will come in and think he's jacked a lad. He'll have a bit of an attitude and a bit of arrogance or whatever and, you know, think that he's the next coming. And then a few trips in the ambulance and a few days when it doesn't go as well as he thinks it's going to do and you see the attitude changing, you know. And you do, I, you, Richard will have seen it, so I've seen numerous lads they didn't always change some of them were just ignorant or thick um, but, but quite often as well them lads didn't last very long no you know, they didn't they, last for whatever reason that if, you, if you've got that attitude you know whether it rubs off on your owners or trainers or you know you're not going to do as, as as well as perhaps you know some great lads that can ride really well but if you don't you haven't got the right attitude for I think for being a jockey because it's seven days a week all year round it's yeah you, you need that attitude is definitely important as well and if you're in there for a period of time, you see, you know, you see what happens day in, day out. You see how tough it is in there, you know what I mean? And there are days when there you have, there's a, you know, you as probably the more senior you get, the closer you are to the door. So he's obviously at the door now. He's obviously at the door in, the, in every way. And at the moment, he's obviously at the door. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? As in like, the end is near. All right, all right. <laughs> the end, I've, the I've, I've got at least five or six years left, don't worry. The end is near. So you, you, um, you know, but you have a group of lads that you see every day. You know what I mean? And there is a bit of humour with the. And to be honest, you actually become, you actually be the, the valets of the lads who look after all your gear and all. That. You you actually become as friendly with them as you do nearly with some of the other lads you're competing against as well. So there is a, 
you know, there is a, a an element of humor in the car in times and, and when times are bad, lads will slag one another, you know, but but on the whole, definitely not as in jump racing, there's no cliques of people who stick together and like that, you know what I mean? You have that car where people sit together or whatever, everywhere and you're going to, you know, it's a, there's kind of a pecking order, so, but there isn't really, you know, on, in terms of attitudes and all that, they all get on pretty well. They know the dangers of the job. They know that there's a very good chance that at some point during the season, they'll be going to hospital to take someone's clothes there, bring someone's car home, or, you know, you'll be organising lifts between you so who's going to go and go, who's going to the hospital to sort them out. That, that happens regularly. A.P. McCoy retired after rewriting the racing history books, but there is one record he's not that proud of and will be more than happy to hand over to Richard Johnson. One thing I, I, that has come up quite recently is that I, well, actually when I retired, but people saying <laughs> that I was the winning most jockey of all time. And I don't know whether it was him or some of the other lads in the way room said that I was actually the losing most jockey of all time as well, because I'd ridden like 14,000 losers on, but I reckon that Richard Johnson must be very close to being the losing <laughs> most, if not already. I'd say he's the losing most jockey of all time, which is... The, you know, for me in terms of the one record I'm so pleased to, to get rid of. We, we, uh, we need to check that Yeah, we're definitely, definitely getting towards that anyway. The thing, the thing is, well, yeah, I might be the most losing jockey if I am, but I get paid for every single riding fee. See what I mean? See, see? See, it's, it's, you've always got to look whenever, at the positives. When, whenever, whenever this gets played back, he's going re- to appreciate why I <laughs> described him in five words. I could have said like some really nice thing about how great a person he was and all that, but this you got to be true to it, don't you? I, I, I can imagine what he said, so it's fine. He's painting the, per- he's painting the perfect picture for me, isn't he? I, I know he's actually just the same, though, so it's fine. <laughs> for nearly 20 years, Richard Johnson fought unsuccessfully for the jockey's title, always finishing in AP's wake. But despite this, he is not bitter in any way. Yeah, but I hadn't got anything to complain about. Pe- people say, oh, you know, it must have got you down. But yeah, it got me down in the fact that I'd get home and get annoyed. Like I say, because I didn't ride... If he'd had three winners and I'd only had two or one, I'd get annoyed at myself. But like I say, compared to everybody else in the waiting room, they all would like to be in my position. So I always felt like I, I, yeah, I shouldn't be complaining. I should just try and ride more winners. That's that's the it's it's, it's pretty basic. We, you know, we're not we're not technical stuff. Probably a good job for me and him. But um, speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, numbers are what we all wanted, and again get from A to B as fast as possible. So I, I think I didn't have a lot to complain about. And, and touch wood, I'm obviously young enough still to be riding. Just. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, ever since I was 16, I've had a, a charmed existence. And uh, yes, you get a few broken bones and a few bangs on the head, but on the whole, literally, I, I can't actually, I even when you think about it now, one, I can't believe it's been so long. And two, I can't believe that I've, done what I've done because you know realistically I'm a farmer that rides horses and I've been very lucky so it's I'm very fortunate to be here and I think well both of us we, we've you know we've we've had a, a charmed existence uh, yeah I wish it was the other way around obviously then I could abuse him a bit more but you know I'm not I'm thankfully not, it's not I'm not going to uh, yeah I'm not going to start complaining because I've got nothing to complain about did you ever complain no no he, he to be fair he wasn't a complainer as the only thing that did that differs from he and I that he would have went out riding horses for that just for that riding fee that I wouldn't even have <laughs> thought about leading up never mind riding so I think that's one of the very few differences in he and I and that is that you know that he would have been prepared just to 
just go out and ride a horse just for the extra few quid. It all, it all helps. It all helps. Not so much for me. <laughs> 16 times Richard Johnson came second to AP McCoy in the jockey's title. But with McCoy now retired, could he overtake him as the winning most jockey of all time? He may have lost the battle, but could he win the war? It's going to be a long war, isn't it? <laughs> uh, look, it, 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 obviously, it, you know, realistically, yeah, it, it is possible, but I'm 41 now this summer. He looks it too, doesn't he? <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. Uh, Some of us have worked harder than others. <laughs> he hasn't aged great, has he? Uh. Is it the Botox that works for you? Yeah. It's, okay. as, as Richard Hughes pointed out to someone, you don't see any wrinkles in a balloon, do you? So, <laughs> uh, as I've expanded, I seem to have lost a few wrinkles. Look, I'm, I'm loving riding and, and got great people to ride for. <clears throat> but whether I ride for one, two, three, four, five more seasons, I've, I've no idea. Obviously, if I could ride one more winner than him, that would be quite sweet. I'll get over it. You know, I'll, if if he if he dies, no, no, tell you, he wouldn't get over it. I guarantee. They'll they'll be you know there'll be someone having to help him on a horse in three or four years' time if he's still riding. With AP McCoy's retirement, one of racing's greatest rivalries ended, and Richard Johnson, after striving for so long, picked up where his old foe left off, and to date has claimed three jump jockey titles. But will we ever see a rivalry like it again? I don't know. Sport moves on, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Someone else comes and takes the, the place. You know, I don't know that... You know, I think because there's that rivalry for a length of time, then people, you know, get used to it a little bit, whereas at the moment no one has been able to, to rival Richard. But it, not, only, not only that, it's, it's, it's more the period of time that it, that it is over that I think that people... You know, it's a bit like I say, even like Premier League football, like the Arsenal and United era, where, where where they, you know, where they were competing against one another, will ever be the same as what that was against, you know, the the, the Fergie and Wenger years. You know, will it, will will they ever have that effect? So, but someone something will come along and, and replace it. That's for sure. For me, what you know, when AP was champion for for that long, and obviously I was great to be involved in it. But I think there's I don't know any, any other sport that anyone has ever dominated for that amount of time, whether it's Federer or Schumacher or you know any other sport yes certain people have dominated for four or five years six years for 20 years is 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 incredible and I think that's what will be remembered from our generation is you know one man that dominated it and hopefully I'll I'll sort of be be sort of mentioned probably in the same it's the, the, the nicest thing he's ever said about me <laughs> bit, I, think, I think that's that's the you know it, it, even when yeah, you, even you think about it now, I, well, one, it doesn't feel like that amount of time that I was riding with, with, with AP, but I think that's the thing that is quite astonishing, that for 20 years, including injuries and everything else, that he he managed to do that. Obviously, I would have loved to have been a, a pain and just obviously had a one or two one or two uh, in, the, in, in the middle of it to annoy him, but um, I think that, that's the thing that I... I, I Thankfully, he didn't. <laughs> Whether I wasn't quite good enough to beat him or uh, or whatever else, but I think to dominate a sport totally for that that amount of time is unheard of, and, and I don't think it'll ever be done again. Thanks, Richard. It's very nice. Now you can say something about nice about me. <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs>
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 